Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Like I promised, I am going back to Why Traditional Parenting Doesn't Work and What Does Work, a series I had started over a month ago And I paused that to talk about FASD. And then last week, I hope you got to listen to Dr. Jared and his educational podcast on just Trauma 101. It was amazing. I took notes while I was recording with him. That's how much information it was. It was amazing. Okay, so today we're going to talk about comparing traditional parenting with connected or non-traditional parenting. Why doesn't traditional parenting work with kiddos with trauma histories or kids with a capital letter syndrome like ADHD, FASD, SPD, ASD, GAD, and I could just keep going on and on and on. So if you have a kiddo that has one of those capital letter syndromes or has a trauma history or both, This is definitely for you, or maybe that's you. We can reparent ourselves. And this is one of the reasons why traditional parenting doesn't work with these kiddos. Traditional parenting tends to focus on outer behavior. Its practice is mostly external. Punishment, lectures, and consequences. Now, I understand there are exceptions to this, but as a whole, overall, when we look at traditional parenting, that's what it's focused on. Let's dig a little deeper. Traditional parenting really tends to focus on that outer, like I said, how you are behaving. But connected or non-traditional parenting, attachment parenting, doesn't focus so much on the outer behavior. Although we often want to change that outer behavior, connected parenting focuses on what's on the inside, such as is the child anxious? Are they overwhelmed? Are they in survival mode? And here's a note. Triggers and trauma do come out through outer behaviors. I understand that. But if you focus on the inner work, 
you will lessen the frequency and severity of the behaviors. Here's a little reminder, or maybe you've never heard this before. If a child has a trauma history or a capital letter syndrome, she has high cortisol levels. This means she can't, not won't behave. So when you have high cortisol levels and they're just surging through your body all the time, you feel anxious, you feel you can't operate in your upstairs brain which is your executive function. You're in the downstairs brain. You're in survival mode. You're just trying to make it through. Your your body is focusing on surviving. She can't regulate herself. This means she can't, not won't, behave. It's as if she's being chased by a bear all the time. And that's an extremely high level of anxiety that these kiddos are dealing with. And some of us adults. So I'm going to challenge you to put yourself in your child's shoes. I ask people in my workshops, think about the scariest moment of your life. Think about how you felt in that moment. Just take a moment and do that right now. And let me ask you, Could you listen to instructions being lobbed at you in that moment? Could you focus on what the person in front of you was saying? Could you follow instructions? Or were you just trying to navigate your way through the anxiety? Were you trying to breathe or were you hyperventilating? Been there, done that. So imagine what your child is feeling like. They're feeling like you felt in that scary moment. And often they're feeling that way all the time. So I'm gonna switch gears here for a second and tell a traditional parenting story. I wanted to share this, it's kind of funny, but this is what traditional parenting truly looks like. Years ago, I was taking my kids on a field trip with our homeschool co-op. We were visiting a newspaper office to see how newspapers are printed. My sister had something else going on that day, so I had her kiddos. We were in the parking lot of the newspaper, and you know what happens in the parking lot in the car. I was going over the expectations before we went in, like all moms do. Before we join the rest of the class over there, let's talk through what's going to happen and what the expectations are. So I asked my kiddos, what's the expectation? You'll see in a minute which direction I was thinking. And my nephew said, I know Aunt Kathleen. No hitting, no kicking, no punching, no pushing. He went, <laughs> he went on and on with this long list of behaviors that we should not do inside the newspaper station. I paused for a second and then I said, oh, that's very good, Nathaniel. But what I was thinking was, Observe the process, ask questions, enjoy the field trip. Nathaniel's little list summed up traditional parenting. No hitting, stay in your seat, don't push, don't hit, etc. Obviously, we want our kids to do those things like don't hit, don't punch, don't, you know, all of those things. But that sums up what I'm saying about traditional parenting. 
Traditional parenting focuses on outward behaviors. And at that time, in that very moment, in the car before we went in, I was looking for inward things. Are you learning something? Are you enjoying the trip? Do you enjoy watching the paper roll off the rollers? What are you focusing on? Let me share a better example of connected parenting. Connected or attachment parenting, which is non-traditional. I'm just going to use those three terms interchangeably. Non-traditional parenting, attachment parenting, and connected parenting. Even if there's a little bit of variation in all of those, just so you understand. With connected parenting, the focus is on how the child is responding inwardly to the situation. It's evaluating and providing coping mechanisms or co-regulation. Dr. Dan Siegel calls this didactic regulation, so if you want to get more scientific. But co-regulation is simply means the child can't regulate, so you are going to regulate for her. You do this by providing proactive solutions. When I say your child can't regulate, and I will explain this a little bit more in a little bit, but they can't function in the environment. It's either too loud, they're too anxious, they have their senses overwhelmed, or maybe the texture of a food they ate is bothering them, or it's too quiet. It's, there, there are so many things like I can't even fill in the blank for, for you. You have to fill in that blank for your child. You know they can't sit still. They can't verbalize their feelings. They're not functioning well. They're in survival mode. And they might even be down on the floor, curled up in a little ball, screaming. Been there, done that. Okay. So you can provide proactive solutions for your triggers and help yourself regulate. Why am I saying that? Because I think learning about connected parenting often begins with learning about ourselves and reparenting ourselves especially if we have had trauma in our early childhood or anywhere in our life. I'm going to share an example from my life. God likes to use me for examples. He's, he's like, okay, Kathleen, you're going to go through this and then you're going to share it and you're going to come out on the other side and it's going to be okay. Recently, I went on a trip to California, which is on the other side of the United States for me. And my husband won Diamond Club. It's, it's something sponsored by Darden, who he worked for. So it was just, it was an amazing event. But here's the thing. I do not like to fly. Often people think it's because I don't trust the pilot or I don't trust the plane will stay in the air. None of that is true. We all have our isms, right? What I don't like about flying is being in a small, closed-in space with no door. Because I can't just leave a plane. I know, you can if you have a parachute, but you get the point. So when traveling on a plane, I have to be proactive and parent myself. What I have learned about myself is I have to have a plan for exactly what I'm going to do on these flights. 
and know exactly what I'm going to do on the layover between flights. Whether it's I have some shows downloaded, an audiobook downloaded. On this particular trip, I had a PDF to work through and journal through, a bag of snacks, a water, a movie to watch, and an audiobook. Also, I need to know exactly how long the flight is so I can mentally prepare myself. And I know that changes. Sometimes you're sitting there waiting to taxi down the runway. But if I have a general idea, that really helps me. So everybody else on their app is looking at the flight going, okay, when's the layover? I'm like, how long is this thing? I need to know exactly how long it is. And I've talked to some of my friends about this and they kind of chuckle at me, but you know what? That's just the way it is. So I have to be proactive and parent myself. I could be punitive, which would be traditional parenting and say, you know, straighten up and you can fly and you can just do this and you don't need any of those props. You don't need any of those crutches. You don't need, just do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to get disciplined. Or if you do do it, you're going to get a sticker. That just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. And if you've tried that route, you know it doesn't work. So what I just mentioned are those proactive practices we can use to parent ourselves. I gave you my example. We need to practice proactive parenting on a larger scale for our children if we want connected, attached parenting in a non-traditional way. The reason I say on a larger scale is because they often, our child, cannot figure out what her triggers are or which situation is difficult for them. She can't verbalize it or he can't verbalize it. So we have to play detective. Now, I didn't realize until I was an adult One of the reasons that travel triggered me was because my siblings and I had to go travel during the summer or sometimes during the holidays to go see my dad. When I was about five, my parents got divorced and for a while we weren't allowed to see my dad. And when we were finally able to go see him again, it was for a month at a time in the summer. And every year he had moved to a new state, which required a lot of travel. Sometimes we kids were put on a plane without an adult and just like that, there you go, hello trauma. I didn't know where we were going and no one took the time to explain it to me or show me on a map. So I was overwhelmed. I was anxious. And for weeks before we would go see my dad, I would just have this constant knot in my stomach, this anxiety, and I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, just because I didn't know. And I just want to be clear, that's just the way it was in the parenting arena during that era. Traditional parenting like that was practiced by most parents. Kids didn't need to know, or they thought they didn't need to know everything. So I'm not blaming anyone. But if you want to be more connected and attached to your child, then you have to learn what their triggers are. Learn what causes a meltdown. 
learn those things that are going on and interpret them. Plus, plan some proactive strategies that will help them beforehand. For instance, if you know that your child cannot handle large gatherings, including birthday parties, Christmas parties, for long, they get overstimulated. You have a plan. You say, we are going to your cousin's birthday party. We're only going to, we are only going to stay this amount of time. We'll stay till they blow out the candles or if at any point we need to go outside and walk around, we'll go do that. If you need extra food and so on and so on. If you know the child can't handle too much sugar and you know they're going to eat cake and cookies, then bring a protein snack to go along with that. Some cheese sticks or trail mix. Bring something. You handle it for them. That's the point. In traditional parenting, we want a child to change. We want the environment to change. We want the world to change. The more your child and her responses don't fit into the world, the more she will feel ashamed, guilty, wrong, and broken. And then she can't enjoy her life. She's always thinking about how she didn't do it right. She didn't fit in. She couldn't handle it. She had to leave the party. Oh my goodness, what shame we heap on our children and ourselves, thinking that we have to live to this cultural standard that somebody else has set for us. Now, I'm going to finish by telling you another story about myself. I guess that's, God likes to use my examples, my recent breakdown. I had a breakdown, it was several months ago, after I'd left a conference early. That's like a big no-no in the culture. It's like, you got to be committed. You got to do this. And, and it wasn't anxiety that made me leave the conference, even though I struggled with anxiety. And it doesn't matter. It's always, there's something. There's always something. That particular trip, I had to leave early. I only missed one workshop. See, that's ridiculous. Here I am <laughs> defending the conference. I only missed one workshop. I feel guilty for missing a workshop. That's ridiculous. I'm allowed to do things that help me, whether they're culturally acceptable or not. And I'm talking about staying within morals and values, not just anything. All right, going back to my story. Why did I leave early? I'm a celiac and they didn't provide the gluten-free meals for me like they had promised. For some reason, I don't know, in my mind, I just had this idea that they would do what they said. Does anybody else struggle with that? You assume that people are absolutely 100% telling you the truth or they're going to do things the way that you would do them. And often that's what kids are thinking. They're like, you said that, so you're going to do it. Or I'm thinking it's going to go this way, so it's going to go this way. There's a reason I'm sharing my story. Because I guess I'm still like a little kid in some ways. Okay, so I survived on protein bars, chocolate, and canned Starbucks coffee. Yummy. The point is, I had to come home early because the event was not fitting me. And that's okay. 
That's why I'm bearing my soul. If you have to leave early from a birthday party or a Christmas party or a sports event because your child is overwhelmed, that's okay. But I wasn't okay with it. I had a breakdown. A few days after I got home, I messaged my daughter and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm always going to be like this. These things are always going to happen to me and I'm never going to be able to travel. I'm never so on, so on, so on. You don't need to hear the whole conversation. I was honestly having a pity party. I was struggling with guilt for leaving early, shame for not being able to manage, and exhaustion from not eating well for three days. Honestly, and this is why I'm sharing this, honestly, how many kids are stuck in that cycle? Maybe your kiddo doesn't know what she needs. Maybe your child can't process what is triggering them. The neurotypical brain is not fully developed until age 25. How can a neurodivergent brain process all the triggers and all the trauma and all the things in survival mode if I can't process it as an adult, really? So my daughter parented me and I'm going to send this advice on to you as I close out this episode. She said, what you need to do is you need to work on your coping mechanisms. Be proactive. Have a plan. Ouch. Because this is exactly what I tell everybody else. I usually do that, but for I don't know why I had high expectations of that particular conference. But I'm offering myself and my experience up to you as an example for you. And although I've used travel examples, the list of triggers for your kiddo may be totally different. Let me just tell you, parent, and I'm going to end with this. You have permission to not participate in all the activities. As much as possible, cut out the events and activities that send your child to the edge or the meltdown. I know we can't cut out everything. We still have to go to the dentist and the doctor. And if your child is in public or private school, they still have to go to school, but make as many changes in the environment as as you can, because here's another aspect to consider. Every time your child has a meltdown, her nervous system has to recover. Her cells need time to recover and recycle energy. It's exhausting. One of the central points of connected parenting or attachment parenting is to lessen the frequency and severity of the meltdowns. I know you can't eliminate them altogether, but when you reduce the severity and frequency of survival mode or meltdowns, then your child's body has a chance to recover, recycle her energy, the nervous system has time to calm down so that she can feel better inside. And when she feels better inside, then her behavior will be better on the outside. Although often our, in our culture, the outward behavior is the most important. The most important to us is that inner feeling of calm 
and peace. And it's called felt safety, which I am going to be talking about next week. But I want to make that distinguishment between traditional parenting and attachment parenting or co-regulating parenting or connected parenting. And if all these words are new to you, maybe you've heard them before in theory, but you don't know how to approach it or put it into practice or what that even looks like. Hopefully this has given you a bit of glimpse, a glimpse into connected parenting. So like I said, I'll be talking about this subject, including felt safety next week. And I will be continuing this series for the rest of the month of October. So thanks for joining me and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.